With SDPB News, I'm Megan Fury. As South Dakotans dig out from underneath a recent blizzard, lawmakers are digging into state coffers to fund several priority projects. Now that state lawmakers have a budget, they're zeroing in on spending from prisons to scholarships to underground research. SDPB's Lee Strubinger has more. While the legislature is considering tax cuts, they're also putting money into dozens of one-time spending projects. They're increasing funding for several construction projects at state facilities and universities. There's also $5 million for capital renovation and $13 million for expanding laboratory space in the Sanford Underground Research Facility in LEED. Lawmakers are also spending millions for purchasing designs and constructing prisons in Rapid City and Sioux Falls. Republican Speaker of the House Hugh Bartles is excited about providing full tuition for National Guard members. We have a National Guard that you just have to be proud of, and it's they win constantly top awards for the nation, and we're fully equipped. I think last time I heard we were at 103 or 104 percent readiness with numbers, which is it just isn't heard of in other states, and they do great work for us, and I'm really proud of them, and I think that was a wonderful thing that we did. Another bill appropriates $20 million into a scholarship fund for students pursuing a degree in behavioral health. Democratic Representative Linda Duba sits on the Appropriations Committee. She says the bill is essential. Mental health services are necessary, and this bill is one of the tools that we can use to help pay for college expenses for people going into the field and then um, having them stay here for an additional five years because they're getting their tuition paid for. The state does that for other health-related fields. One-time funding projects are part of a process in putting the state budget together. Budget wizards will focus on fitting in the state's ongoing costs. That will intersect with the tax debate and likely take up the bulk of the last two weeks of legislative session. I'm SDPB's Lee Strubinger in Pierre. The House Judiciary Committee overturned an amendment to Senate Bill 4 on Friday before hearing testimony. The bill again allows judges to consider sending juvenile offenders to the Department of Corrections for a third strike, even for nonviolent crimes. An amendment in the Senate changed that number to a second strike. The bill responds to the reality that some areas of South Dakota don't have the community resources required to treat troubled children. Victoria Wicks has this report for SDPB. Juvenile justice reforms in 2015 depended largely on community-based services rather than DOC placement for nonviolent juvenile offenders. But over the years, it became apparent that rural communities don't have adequate services such as counseling and treatment for substance abuse. Wade Pogany is executive director of the Associated School Boards of South Dakota. He testified in support of sending repeat offenders to DOC care. They get arrested, they get through the, the courts, they're back again, but where they're going is they're going from the courts and jail back to the school. Pogany confirmed prior testimony of other educators. We can't provide those services in the school to help them. I think it's better off in corrections. They have especially some of the, uh, the therapy that these kids need. Some witnesses objected that a DOC placement is too harsh. Tara Larson lobbies for the South Dakota Defense Lawyers Association. She said some of the kids who get into trouble might be stealing food because they're hungry or committing crimes to alleviate other conditions in the home. This alternative placement that they're talking about and additional services that the proponents are talking about is jail. It's DOC custody. 
She said troubled kids need someone to explore whether the behavior stems from family issues. Representative Tim Reich responded that a DOC placement does not necessarily mean the juvenile is going to sit in detention. There's still a wide range of options and they do a comprehensive evaluation on every one of those kids to see what's the right thing for the kids. The committee approved the bill on a vote of 11 to 2. The bill had been amended in the Senate so that it applies to children coming into court a second time within a year, but this committee restored that number to three offenses in a year. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Victoria Wicks. Help Wanted signs are prominent across the state as it continues to navigate a widespread workforce shortage. Could relaxing workplace licensing requirements be a part of the solution for South Dakota? SDPB's C.J. Keene checks in. From EMTs to teachers, South Dakota is hungry for workers across the scope of industries. Senator Jim Stalzer presented SB 76 to the House Commerce and Energy Committee. He says licensing regulations need to be re-examined for people looking to move to the state. South Dakota consistently ranks as a low-regulation, open-for-business state. One of the only areas where we've fallen behind is occupational licensing. The licensing recognition process in this bill simply allows an individual to receive a license without duplicating the training and education they went through in their previous state. The proposal saw many speak in support of the bill, including Joe Graves, Secretary of the State Department of Education. He says the bill would support similar policies that have proven effective within the DOE. Since 2017, we've approved 1,077 applications for reciprocity from across the country, including 49 states, uh, Guam and the District of Columbia. It has had a major impact on at least reducing the problem of teacher shortage. It hasn't eliminated it, but it's, uh, it's had a major impact on reducing that shortage. Another supporter, Representative Tyler Tordson, says the bill would deepen South Dakota's workforce well. This allows us to recruit talented, certified individuals from other states, some of them with South Dakota roots, some of them not, um, looking to, to move here. And instead of them taking a step back and having to rebuild, allowing a streamlined, more efficient process to get these talented individuals to come here and, and keep climbing. SB 76 advanced with a do-pass recommendation. MSDPB's CJ Keen. SDPB's legislative coverage is supported by the Friends of SDPB with corporate support from the South Dakota Bar Foundation and SDN Communications. Former U.S. Senator Jim Aberesk has died. In a statement on social media, his family said he died peacefully at his Sioux Falls home on his 92nd birthday. Jim Aberesk served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1971 to 1973 and in the U.S. Senate from 1973 to 1979. SDPB's Kara Hetland has more. Jim Aberesk was the youngest son of Charles and Lena Aberesk, who were immigrants from a small farming village in Lebanon. Charles immigrated to South Dakota in 1898, where he worked as a pack peddler until he opened a general merchandise store in Wood, South Dakota in 1912. A second general store was opened in Mission in 1920. Jim grew up and attended schools in both Wood and Mission as each parent ran a store. I had a good life. I ran free. Nobody paid any attention to me. I did what I wanted to, and much to the regret of my parents. I saw a great deal of poverty back in those days that I witnessed. I, I, don't, I don't think I fully understood it when I was that age. It turned out that I later on became aware of what was happening, and uh, 
I decided I would do what I can to end suffering and poverty if I could. Aberesk was the first Greek Orthodox Christian of Lebanese descent to serve in the U.S. Senate. He was critical of U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East and was also known as a champion of people who are underrepresented or unrepresented, like small farmers, consumers, and American Indians. While in the Senate, he created the American Indian Policy Review Commission and worked on policy change and legislation. We passed the Indian Child Welfare Act. We passed the Indian Self-Determination Act, the Indian Freedom of Religion Act. Aberesk authored two books, Advise and Dissent, a memoir of South Dakota and the U.S. Senate, and Through Different Eyes, a dialogue on issues in the Middle East. Jim Aberesk is survived by his wife, Sanaa, and five children, many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I'm SDPB's Kara Hetland. Funeral arrangements are pending. Fifty years ago, tensions were already high on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. Then activists from the American Indian Movement took over the town of Wounded Knee. In the view of the protesters, the Oglala Sioux tribal chairman was in cahoots with federal authorities and ran roughshod over residents. But the 71-day occupation quickly morphed into an outpouring of anger over the plight of Native Americans and injustices dating back centuries. Two Native Americans died in the fighting and a U.S. Marshal was left paralyzed. Wounded Knee had already been seared into history as the site of an 1890 massacre by U.S. Army cavalry troops. That was one of the last major military operations against Native Americans on the Northern Plains. Accounts vary, but the massacre left around 300 Lakota dead, including children, women, and older people. Congress apologized in 1990. SDPB TV One will air Kevin McKiernan's documentary tonight at 7 Central, 6 Mountain. It's called From Wounded Knee to Standing Rock, A Reporter's Journey. The EPA is adjusting the labeling standards of the herbicide dicamba. The change limits the use of dicamba on crops after June 20th in order to lessen the chemical's drift off the fields. Dicamba is used to kill certain types of weeds on genetically engineered soybeans. The EPA says it can damage other crops. The measure was proposed by dicamba users in consultation with the South Dakota Department of Agriculture Resources. Average gas prices in South Dakota have fallen nearly two cents per gallon in the last week. That's according to Gas Buddy's latest survey. This makes the average price in the state $3.26 per gallon. Prices in South Dakota are nearly 11 cents per gallon lower than a month ago and stand 14 cents per gallon lower than a year ago. The national average price of diesel has fallen nearly eight cents in the last week and stands at 4.38 per gallon. History is passed down through stories shared. And sharing the history of Parkston and Milltown through the stories of people who call these rural communities home is the mission of Kay Adkins Brown. SDPB's Laura Rohde brings us this story from a research room in the Center of Western Studies at Augustana University. From the Mayflower to the Pasque Flowers, By 1910, the Adkins, Mattis, and Mize families owned 2,475 acres in Forster Township, 
near Milltown, South Dakota. As neighbors, they shared the same American dream. Kay Adkins Brown is reading from her website. The retiree created it during the long months of COVID shutdown. She updates it monthly with stories and photos. This is a site and a place for stories about people, ordinary people who lived through the extraordinary history of the United States. It's not only stories. Adkins Brown shares stories of many Parkston and Milltown citizens and events. It always kind of was beyond my family, but it's still about my family. But what you can do with an area, like the last story that I did on the website, was that my brother played basketball in 1954 and 1955. They went to the state championships. But when you have a core person, you can't help but not tell the story of all the people around them and the community around them. So it becomes not only stories about my family, but about the entire community. Inspired by the stories her father Pete Atkins shared with her as a young child, long before creating this website, Atkins Brown began archiving family letters, photographs, and newspaper clippings and albums. She even published a book of stories and recipes, The Ma Project. I realized that I had all the stories. I mean, I'm the last generation that remembers the generation before us and the people who were in World War I and the people who were in World War II. And I remember those people and I remember the stories. And I thought, if I don't get those stories out, then when I go, that's going to be lost to history. So it became, I think, really important this last year to say, and probably because of my age, that I need to start telling these stories. To honor her father's passion for history and storytelling, the 74-year-old wears her father's Red Wool 1929 Parkston football letter sweater as she conducts research at the Center for Western Studies. Atkins Brown is looking for historical photos of a 1911 train wreck to accompany a story she's working on for her website that talks about the importance of the railroad to early years of Parkston. Each month, she updates her website with a new story that includes historical facts she discovers through research. January's story focused on the 1954-55 basketball team. So that's the really fun thing, when you hear stories and then you can research and then you find it's true. And then there's always little asides that you don't, you know, like you don't know about. Like with this last story about the, um, uh, the 54 and 55 basketball teams, I did not know how much the community was into, I mean, they would close businesses to go to the basketball games. And even though they never won, they never won the state tournament. They got close, uh, but they never won. But uh, they would meet the boys on Highway 37 as they were coming, you know, were either from Aberdeen or Mitchell, and they would meet them in, in Dimmock, which is a little town uh, just a little ways away from Parkston. And there would be like a hundred cars, and there were two airplanes that flew over, and I would not have known that that was that big a deal to that little town until I did all my research. So it was really kind of a fun thing to, to imagine what that must have been like 
for those young men coming from the basketball team and just going in and all of a sudden here are all these cars and airplanes flying over. I mean, that really paints a picture of what history is all about. And even though she hasn't lived in Parkston for many years, Kay Atkins Brown says sharing the stories of the communities her family called home for generations keeps her connected. There is nothing more wonderful than a sense of place. You know, uh, South Dakota has had a lot of people that have exited from South Dakota. But I don't think that sense of place ever goes away from somebody. And I think that it gives you a confidence in knowing that you belong to a place and there's a sense of history in a place. And when you know the stories and you go back there, then I think it becomes even more important to you as an individual to give yourself kind of a sense of, I belong somewhere. It's her hope that for generations to come, the history shared through stories on her website provide a similar connection to those who call Parkston and Milltown communities home. For South Dakota Public Broadcasting, I'm Laura Rohde. Arrangements have been made for Kay Atkins Brown's research to be archived at the Center for Western Studies on the campus of Augustana University. And a link to the website can be found at sdpb.org. With SDPB News, I'm Megan Feary. And that is your daily news update. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at SDPB News and visit sdpb.org news to stay up to date on our journalism as it comes in. And as always, thank you for listening.